Okay, so today we're in chapter 22, and we're in a conversation that is recorded in all gospel accounts. Anytime there's something in all the gospel accounts, I'm like, my, my radar goes up on that one. This one has all of them, and they're almost verbatim, except Luke adds a sentence at the beginning of this whole conversation, and to me, it is the most striking of the entire passage, and it's what we will focus most of our time on, and if you're like me, I had read this and I had forgotten that this is even in there and I found myself really curious. Let's get into this. So we're going to read this and, and go from there. So Luke 22, starting in verse 31, all the way to 34, not very much. There's a conversation with Jesus and Peter and they are talking and the disciples are there too. It says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times that you know me. These opening verses catch my attention with three observations that I'd like us to focus on. The first is, this, there's a spiritual battle that takes place in which Satan wanted Peter to walk away from his faith, but Jesus claimed him. Secondly, Jesus's prayer was to protect Peter from falling out of faith, but not falling in that moment of temptation. And then lastly, Jesus exhorted Peter to strengthen his, the brothers there after he is restored. All right, so those are three observations. Each of these carries a lot to it with their own unique applications. And so I'm going to reread the passage for us. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, and yeah, you can listen along. It says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Okay, so this first observation, the unseen battle that required Jesus to pray. The first two verses there, or the first one and then the beginning of the next. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Satan wanted to tempt Peter to become an apostate, yet Jesus prayed to the Father to protect Peter. It wouldn't surprise me if Jesus' words included phrases like this, Heavenly Father, the adversary wants him, but he is mine. I handpicked him that day I saw him fishing with his brother. He's, his heart is committed and his faith is genuine. Father, he is the one I will use to establish the church on Pentecost. The adversary does not get him. He will not fall from grace. I don't know about you, but it is incredibly cool and intense that Jesus is praying for his disciples. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the creator of all, that by his words, everything, including the earth and the unseen dominions and authorities were created, and that he holds all things together. He sustains all things, that he is preeminent over all. 
That is our Savior. Yet he comes to the Father and he prays. He goes to battle against the evil pursuit and the wicked accusations of the adversary himself. You know, some people think Jesus is just upstairs eating donuts, watching UNC smack Duke around, and he's just sitting there with the red telephone next to him waiting for the call from the Father that it's go time, and he's going to jump on the white horse, come to earth, and take care of business. Well, that's not what he's doing. And one of the things Jesus is doing is interceding for us. Specifically, Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And when it comes to this idea of Jesus interceding, if there's anyone we want fighting for us in battle, in prayer, it is our Savior. Robert Murray McShane, he's an old, uh, passed away a long, long time ago. Um, he, he said this about this passage. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Friends, our Savior continues to pray for us today, and that should strengthen us greatly in our faith. Now, if you didn't notice the detail at the beginning, let me reread this for you. Luke 22, verse 31 says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Satan wanted each of them, all disciples sitting there. He wanted to separate them like wheat from the chaff. He wanted to separate them from their faith. Another way to word this is Satan is seeking to shake you disciples violently as one sifts wheat and to cause you to fall. Jesus's trial and the beating that he received and the crucifixion as a whole was a traumatic experience for the disciples to witness. Jesus prayed that they would endure through that, that they would not abandon their faith. The enemy tried to take them and to try to make them run like the prodigal, but Jesus stepped in and fought for them. The enemy still throws his accusations around. He still throws around shame. Yeah, let's remember, we have an advocate who stands on our behalf before the Father. 1 John 2, 1 says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Church family, if anyone is associated with Jesus Christ, he comes under the attack of the enemy. From accusations to testing our loyalty. And the fundamental reason that we can sustain through is not our genetic hardiness regarding our faith. It is the intercession of our Savior going to battle for us. We are saved by Jesus' grace and we are truly sustained by Jesus' grace. Can you recall a time in your faith in which you were teetering on uh, denial or loyalty? Can you think of a time that you were tested in your faith? Since I've been the pastor here for six years, it has already occurred twice in which I found myself at the cusp of saying, I think I cannot go further in my pursuit of Jesus because too much has happened. One time was due to uh, a, a great tragedy that caused me to have to uh, work through what seemed to be philosophical incompatibilities with God's love and the evil around us. Another time was due to unbearable despair that was hard to reconcile with God's purposes and love. 
And both times were incredibly scary for me, and both times I sensed deeply God's sustaining presence in that. Uh, in fact, it was so in, intense, uh, it was so uh, uh, unforeseen, um, new, uh, a foreign concept, a foreign experience. I was talking with my counselor through it, to talk through it. What is happening? What is going on here? And uh, we worked through it so much because what was overwhelming me was the thought of having to endure those kinds of low spots in my faith for, say, the next 50 years. It was overwhelming me. And he helped me, and the Lord was in that process to work through and recognize that, uh, friends, I just have to take it day by day. I don't need to overwhelm myself with the pressures of everything else. And I can testify to you that my faith has been strengthened through those disappointments and those setbacks, and my love for Jesus has been deepened despite different wounds. Well, how about you? Can you recall a time of testing? Some of you are in that testing now. You've shared with me what's going on, and it is very scary for you and for your family who know. I want to encourage you to endure the test, to remember that the darkness doesn't last forever and the dawn eventually comes. And so don't let the accusations of the enemy stick to you. He will tell you you're a bad Christian. He will say, well, you're doubting or you are a discouragement or you're just weak. And in those moments, bust out the good old fashioned phrase from kindergarten, right? I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say, bounce it off, sticks to you. So when he says, you're a loser, be like, no, you're the one going to the lake of fire, uh, not me. He says, oh, you're full of shame. Be like, no, you're the one that's the fallen. Here's who I am in Christ. We remember that our resurrected Savior is the one who is all-powerful. And we have a righteous advocate who is our propitiation. And that's why we stand in God's presence. Also in those moments, if you are there right now, I encourage you to share that with others. It's a great kind of conversation you'd want to have with a group leader in order to let others carry burdens with you. You are not alone in those dark nights of the soul when the lies seem like truth and when that dark path is illuminated and it's all you see. Remember, we're a church family and we have one another and we also foremost have Jesus. So that's the first observation we see just in the in the sentence and a half of that conversation from Jesus and Peter, and it's a lot. I could just stay there, but we have some more. So let's keep working through this. The second observation is that Peter stumbled, but he did not fall from grace. Very interesting here. So verse 32, the second half says, that your faith should not fail. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. Not that Peter wouldn't flounder in the moment of testing. Now I find that to be a little unfair. If I were Peter, I'd say, all right, well, actually, um, how about you pray I don't fall at all? Like, not just from grace in the eternity scope and denying my faith, but how about, you know, can you help me out a little bit to not deny you at all? And so, Well, Peter's not there. He's so confident in his loyalty to Jesus. He's under the assumption he'll just do fine with whatever happens. Hence him saying, hey, you know, Whatever you throw at me, I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. And one day that all did come true. But in this moment, he wasn't ready for that. He was pretty prideful in his faith and his passion was further ahead than his foundation to keep him there. He thought he was ready to handle something when clearly he was not. And my oldest son, he's at the point now where he will ask me for certain things or to do certain things. And I will think to myself, you, or I'll, I'll tell him to in a 
less philosophical way, but he's not ready for the things that he's asking for. And there's some things he thinks he can handle. You know, either, even though Peter did not eternally fall, he did stumble in this moment of testing. And Jesus allowed for that stumbling to occur. And we can relate to this sort of dynamic. As Christians, we mature in our Christ-likeness. And during that mature, maturation, is that a word, uh, process, we, at times, stumble. We don't always get it right. This is a journey that we're on, and stumbling is part of that journey. Even though we are saved, let's remember, we still live in the flesh, and the flesh is imperfect. And we live in this world, and this world is definitely imperfect and broken. And so sin happens. We commit sin in doing something we should not do. We commit sin in not doing something we should do. And that is the dynamic we live in. Galatians 5.17 puts it this way. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these things, wait, wait, yeah, what's it say? For, for these are opposed to each other. These things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So I don't know about you, but I wish I did not sin. I wish I didn't sin against God and against others. I wish others didn't sin against God or against one another or against me. But it's something that happens. And when sin happens, it injures us and it injures others. It is everything from embarrassing to destructive. And depending on what we do or don't do, the corresponding consequences of sin can be disastrous, they can be criminal, they can be unforgettable. For all of church history, this faltering moment in Peter's life has been recorded. He denied Jesus at his loneliness, loneliest point in life. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, he reminds us of our spiritual frailty before our holy God. There is that sting and there is that pain. And I encourage you, as you have those moments today and throughout the week in which you are convicted of sin in your life, you will find yourself being reminded that it is one small nugget or one portion or one, one uh, moment in your life here that is a picture of your entire stance before God and your desperate need for a Savior. We cannot be righteous before God on our own. We are not perfect on our own. We need Jesus Christ. We need him not only for our salvation, but we need him to be the leader of our lives, to guide us in our motives and our words and our actions. Now, thankfully, Peter's story does not end with his denial. And thankfully for us, it doesn't end for us either in our own sin. For after we sin, there is the potential for restoration. And that leads us to the third observation, restoration and purpose. And so verse 32, the end of it here, so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. That's what Jesus tells Peter. When you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. If you're unfamiliar with the story, a few hours after this all happens, you know, because Jesus says by, by morning the rooster will crow when this happens, Peter does deny Jesus three different times, not just once, three stinking times. And his journey and his story doesn't end with that moment. There is a repentance and there is a restoration. So Jesus exhorted Peter in this moment that after he repents, he's got to go back and strengthen his brothers. This phrasing is so interesting. I'm going to reread it for you in several different translations just so you can kind of help see 
uh, kind of capture the the emotion and the dynamic of the test uh, of the text a little more in this conversation. So this, I'll read the whole thing for us here in the Amplified Bible. Uh, this part of verses thirty-one and thirty-two. It says, "Simon, Simon, Peter, listen." Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you like grain, but I have prayed especially for you, Peter, that your faith and your confidence in me may not fail. And you, once you have turned back to me again, strengthen and support your brothers in the faith. Okay, so that's one. Another one, the contemporary English version, it says this. Jesus said, Simon, listen to me. Satan has demanded the right to test each of you as a farmer does when he separates wheat from the husks. But Simon, I have prayed that your faith will be strong. And when you come back to me, help the others. Another one is from the message. And just 32 says, Simon, I prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. And then lastly, is from the Berean Literal Bible. If you've never heard of that, check that out. It says this in verse 32, but I begged for you that your faith may not fail and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Luke wrote this account, the whole gospel account for the Christian church, for Theophilus and those who are listening. And they would have all known about Peter's denial. It was a well-known part of the testimony of Peter and the history of the church's beginnings here. And his denial is not where it ends in Peter's life and God's use of him. And same for us. God's use for us doesn't end in that moment of sin. Friends, for a Christian, failure doesn't have to be the last word. It is true that for restoration to happen, sin must have occurred. There was a brokenness that occurred there. But let's remember, we have a resurrected Savior who is stronger than the grips and the punishment of sin. In Christ, we can be restored to our Heavenly Father. And in Christ, we can be restored to one another. Peter experienced the restoration with God and with the church. And John 21 describes this conversation. If you haven't read this before, or if you're unfamiliar, this is a conversation Jesus and Peter have after Jesus resurrected. And Peter is restored, and Jesus reestablishes him in his calling and to, 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 to function as a leader within the church. God used Peter to encourage and to strengthen the church in a powerful way. Several people have argued that Peter was stronger as a leader because he even fell in this moment. It made him more humble. It made him recognize the, the ease of denial or the ability to fall into temptation. As I look through Peter's life, I see a strengthening in his compassion as a leader as well not just boldness like he is marked by and not necessarily brashness after this moment has occurred. Now, none of us should strive to sin in order to have a robust Christian resume. And none of us should look into having a whole bunch of sin so grace can abound in our life. That's silly. It breaks common sense. And Paul actually writes about that because that was a topic to the church in Rome. So Romans 6, Paul says, by no means do you just sin so you can experience a bunch of forgiveness. In fact, I want to remind us to stay alert and vigilant because the grips of sin can take hold in your life in ways you never saw coming. And you might think you can manage and control. Well, let's remember John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we never want to intentionally dive into it just because God's grace is so wonderful. Let's just like have fun with this. You'll find yourself in a very difficult situation. And the consequences, you have no clue how bad it might be, but I've seen endless and, and uh, indescribable ways of how uh, the fallout from sin. But let us remember, cling to and, and celebrate the promise of restoration that is backed by the complete sufficiency of Christ's blood on the cross. We make promises all the time, and we tend to break those promises here and there depending on what we say. Well, the promise of our faith and of our forgiveness of sin is backed by Christ's promise. It's proven by the work on the cross. Jesus' blood sufficiently covers our sin, not 99% of it, but all of it. His atonement completely satisfies God's judgment, and in Christ, you stand pure before our holy God. Listen to these words from Colossians 2, 13, 14, and 15. It says this, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So tell me, where can you run that Christ's love can't get you? Answer's nowhere. You can't escape. You can't hide. Christ's love can find you wherever you might be. So friends, if you have a Peter sort of experience in which you sin and then the Lord restores you, my exhortation is the same that Jesus told them, and that is go back and strengthen your brothers. If you get knocked down, which will happen to various degrees, don't just stay down. Get up. Get back in the battle and fight alongside us because I need your encouragement. We need your encouragement. We need your love. We need your support. We need your story of God's testimony and work in your life. As long as God gives you breath, you can be a vessel for his grace. In light of that, I want to read for you a, a letter that we received this morning from one of the women in our church who is in, at a Christian rehab center, and God is working and changing her life so much. And in the same way that Peter was admonished to go back, go when you return, go to your brothers and sisters and, and encourage them and strengthen them. Very similarly, I, I think this is strengthening for us. Well, it, she, she doesn't even know that we're, you know, uh, she asked that we'd read this, but she doesn't even know that uh, the timing of this is so uh, exact, strengthening us after we've returned. So she says this, hello. First, I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Cindy. Some of you may know me because of my family, Chris and Cindy McCready, and their two daughters. This is, so this is Chris's sister, Cindy. And uh, so Chris and Cindy and their two daughters, Autumn and Summer, all of which serve the Lord there at Legacy. I'm asking that if possible, you could share this letter with everyone at your Sunday service with hopes that if anyone needed to hear my message, they'd hear it and feel comfort. As I write this letter from Grace Home Hebron Ministries in Santee, South Carolina, I can't help but be grateful and thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ picked me up at my most desperate moments. And he placed me here. You see, he knew I needed my heart to be healed. I suffered from 
drug and alcohol addiction most of my adult life, always wondering why things were so uh, difficult for me. I was raised to believe in God and felt I was a good person, but I didn't understand why I kept falling down. It was because I needed God to heal my heart. I've been given this opportunity only because of God's love and his mercy and his grace. And I'm truly blessed beyond what I could have ever thought was possible. It's all the Lord's doing. In everyone's prayers that I sit here and write this letter of hope to anyone struggling, the Lord loves us with all his heart. All you have to do is ask him for his forgiveness and he will restore your heart. Once that happens, it's amazing to see the transformation of not only myself, but others right here. I just want others struggling to know there is salvation. You just have to ask God for it and go to the Lord and to really spend time with him. He knows what your heart needs. I hope this brings comfort and reassurance to someone or someone you may know battling Satan's ways. God's love, uh, God's love for us is infinite and true. I pray for y'all daily and want to shout out a special thanks to Michael and Casey Benz and all the Restore group. I miss you all, love you. See you after June 4th. God bless. Uh, that's, uh, that's such a strengthening letter to me because there are those of us here who need to hear that, need to be reminded that God is at work, that there is hope. Ultimately, there is salvation in him, but there's also restoration in your life. And so with that said, we're reminded from this whole story of the wonderful work that God has in our life. Uh, the band, you guys can come up forward here to finish this, uh, finish our time with, a, with this worship song. But I remind us of the unseen spiritual battle that required Jesus to pray uh, from this. I, I remind you about how Jesus, or, or Peter, he stumbled, but he did not totally fall. He didn't fall from grace and deny his faith as a whole. And then lastly, there was restoration and purpose. And just as there was for him, there is for us as well. Friends, this story brings great hope for any of us. So as we conclude, I want to encourage you to not to, to, to sing. It's a wonderful song. It's a great declaration of what we want God to do in this community and in our own lives. But also, if you would like any prayer, I'll be available over here. There is much work that God can be doing in our hearts and our lives. And so let's take care of that business while we are here, present with one another and worshiping together. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for Cindy as a church family as well.